Alright, turn with me to Second Chronicles. You know where that says? Look in your Bible concordance uh, or whatever it is, a little index, it'll tell you where to find it. And Second uh, Chronicles chapter number 7. I'll continue my subject matter of wake-up calls. We've looked at a few of them. And today we're going to look at another wake-up call out of the Old Testament. And uh, I want to throw out a word that has become the word of the year for 2020. The word COVID. Uh, COVID is a pandemic that has spread worldwide. Uh, there is no immunity to it. It ranks among major pandemics like cholera, rebonic plague, smallpox, and uh, even rare cases of influenza. Uh, we have people isolated in the hospital who can't have visits. We have uh, people in nursing homes that can't have visits due to the spread of this. It is so widespread that in the state of Tennessee, there have been 280,000 reported positive cases and 3,600 uh, uh, deaths. Uh, nationwide, there have been 10 million reported cases with 238,000 deaths. And worldwide, there have been 50 million reported cases with one and a quarter million deaths. So it is very widespread. It's the word of the year of 2020. There's also a phrase that has come popular this year in 2020, and it is the phrase social distancing. Uh, you know, that's kind of rare. Uh, it means the magic distance of six feet. I never thought six feet would be a magic distance, but it is. You go into convenience stores, you get in line to pay, you look down, there's a blue line that says stay six feet from the front of you. You go to a restaurant, you pay as you leave, you look down, and you're standing behind the line that says stay on behind this line six feet behind the person that's in front of you. So that's the, 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 the praise for this year. And what we need here in this country is we need healing. Uh, we need healing from COVID, but we also need healing from the social and the morality issues of our day. In other words, we need healing from sin. And the greatest need that we have is for a spiritual awakening as a nation, as a church, and as an individual. It would be wonderful. Now listen, it would be absolutely wonderful if next year we look back at the year 2020 or maybe the year after that we look back or years to come, we're looking back at 2020 and we say 2020 was a year of a spiritual awakening. It was a spiritual awakening in my life. It was a spiritual awakening in the life of my church. It was a spiritual awakening in my nation. Wouldn't that be great to look back and to see that? Well, today I want us to look at a passage of Scripture beginning in the 13th verse of 2 Chronicles 7. It's dealing with three words that I want you to pay attention to. Now, I'm going to read it out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. So one of these words will be a little different in your Bible. But I want you to look at three words in this passage of Scripture. I want to yield you the word when, the word, the word if, and the word then. When, if, and then. These are the keys to, to waking up the social distancing in our life. Okay? Verse 13. When, first one, I shut up heaven so there is no rain. 
or I command the locusts to devour the land, or I send pestilence among my people. Second word, if. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, word number three, then, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you today asking the Lord that this message, this passage of Scripture as we look at it, would wake us up seriously. God, we pray you'll speak to us today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, a preliminary to what's going on here is for greater understanding. You need to know a little bit about what's happening at this time in history. Solomon is the king of Israel. Solomon was the son of David. And he has taken the throne, and he had just completed a massive job. He had just completed the building of the temple. Now, the temple is a massive structure, one that was considered one of the seven wonders of the world. For God uh, had not allowed Solomon's father, David, to build the temple, so it was carried on out by Solomon. It was so massive. Now, I think the biggest church I've ever been to was First Baptist Church of Jacksonville. I used to love to go to there for a conference every year. It's five city blocks long. It has two city blocks of, uh, of uh, parking garages. It has one city block of worship areas, youth, children, and all. It has another wing of educational wing for children and adults and, and adults. And then it has another building for administration. So all that together was massive. I don't know how this temple compares to the massiveness of, of that building, but it, it was an unbelievable structure. And at this time, the building was being dedicated to God. They were giving it to God here so that they could go in there and offer sacrifices to Him. They could go in and worship and they could uh, do their public worship and learn of Him. And it was the first time, listen, the very first time in human history that they had an opportunity to worship God in a building. Before it had been in outside areas like altars and communities and even houses. And, but here, uh, and even once through the traveling in the wilderness, there was a great massive tent called the Tabernacle of Meeting that they met in. But this is the first time they're able to go into a place made out of brick and mortar to worship their living God. Now, as we get to this, now, I want us to see the circumstances of the past, the when. I want us to see the action needed for the present, which is the if, and the present and future blessings of God, which is the then. So Israel is dependent upon what to do in the if. Uh, but first, we're going to begin with the when. The history of God's people, Israel, is being that when times were good, they worshiped God. And then they would stray from God, and they would turn away from Him, and God would allow judgment to come upon them. They would then humble themselves and pray to God, and then God would give the blessings back. And then after a period of blessings, they would again turn from God. They would 
experience the judgment that came that was allowed by God, and then they would have to humble themselves and pray, and then God gets in the blessings again. This is a cycle that continued for hundreds and hundreds of years to the people of Israel, God's people. The cycle kept going. The wind. God's judgment came. The if God's people would humble and come to God. The wind and God would pour out the, the, the blessings. Now, as we get to verse 13, notice the real detail of the wind here. A temple time, or a, a temple time when God, a terrible time when God shuts up heaven and there is no rain. It's a terrible time when God allows locusts to devour the land of Israel. It's a terrible time when the nation is hit by pestilence. First of all, in this period of wind, there was no rain. There was an absolute famine of rain in the nation of Israel because God allowed the heavens to be shut up and there was no rain. Can I tell you today in 2020 in our traditional churches like Portland Church here, uh, there is a lack of rain. And that rain that we lack is not uh, liquid rain, but that liquid that we lack in our traditional churches is the rain down of the Spirit of God. Amen. It seems to me as we have now experienced that God has allowed to us to have heaven shut up when there's no spiritual rain for the Holy Spirit in our congregation, in the works of our churches, we are experiencing a little bit of the wind that Israel really Amen. Then he goes on to say the locusts had eaten the land. Did you know that COVID is eating our land up today? It's eating us up with anxiety. It's eating us up with our loved ones. It's eating us up with an uncertainty of the future. And it is as if it's eating up our land today. Then he goes on to say the wind in the nation of Israel that pestilence had taken the land. Today, pestilence had taken much of our land today. We look at immorality and sin on the upper, and it's as if it's overtaken our morality issues of the Judeo-Christian ethics of the Word of God. So we're in this wind stage right now, just like Israel was. Now, we get now, we see here, what do we need to do to get out of it? Well, we've got to turn to the if stage. The next comes the if in verse number 14. It begins with that two-letter word, if. Now, it begins with the fact that it follows it up with God's people. He said, if my people, listen to that now, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves. If my people, which are called by my name. The answer to our will, the answer to our spiritual rights, the answer to our, our healing of the locusts of COVID. The answer to our pestilence of immorality, the rioting, the racism, and everything that's going on. The answer to that does not lie in the White House. The answer to that lies in God's house. He said, if my people, which are called by my name, you see that coming out there? The only hope we have for America extends through us as God's people. Now there's four things required of us in this if time of this passage. The four things that's required to wake up us as God's people yeah. said. Number one, he said humble ourselves. Yeah. 
Number two, he says, pray. Number three, he says, seek God's faith. Number four, he says, turn from our wicked way. A whole sermon could be preached on every one of those four responses. But look at them. God's call. The first thing he's calling us to do is humble ourselves. Let's get off our high horses. Let's get off our preferences. Let's get off our men no more. And let's look at the whole picture that it's not just us at stake, but our neighbor, our community, our church, and our world at stake. So therefore, it's up to us to take ourselves down and humble ourselves, default ourselves, and exalt the Almighty God. Take ourselves off the throne of our heart and put God on the throne of our heart where He rightly deserves. Yes. Amen. Step one, the if is humble. Yes. Second step is to pray. And we pray all the time. Do you really pray? Do you really pray? Do you take the time needed to spend with your Heavenly Father in communication? The answer to that would come in not only the time we spend with prayer, but the essence of our prayer as well. And then not only do we humble ourselves and pray, but he says then to seek God's faith. Yeah. I spent almost three months in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John preaching about fellowship, that closeness and unity that we need with God and that closeness and unity that we need uh, with each other. Here, this is that kind of fellowship, seeking God's faith. It's getting close to God. You know, all of us have a head knowledge of God. We know a lot about God. And we were raised in church. Our parents and our grandparents most likely told us about God. We used to read in our textbooks about God. We know a little bit about God. But we have head knowledge of God. But we have that close intimacy with God. My wife woke me up this week or something. I worked nine hours, ten lessons of a seminar. I got through, I told her, I said, man, I just had a great day today, man. I, I saw nine lessons. They're just unbelievable. What a blessing it was. And you know what she had your ass and asked me? What'd you get out of it? <laughs> we go to church. Yeah. And we hear probably yeah. 40 or 50 sermons a week, but a year. But what do we get out of it? That's that closeness of God. It's more than just knowing about God. It's knowing Him as your Lord and Savior. It's knowing Him as a provider in your life. It's knowing Him that when you wake up in the morning, He's the one that woke you up. It's knowing that when you go to bed at night, He's the one that lays you down. It's knowing that when you walk through this life, He's the one walking in you and through you. Amen. That's that fellowship. So He said, humble ourselves, pray, seek God's faith, and then. Oh, here comes the hard part. Turn from your wicked ways. Turn from your I'm pretty good though. I'm there for myself for my brother. He's eight years old. And I go to church when he does. I think I pray when he does. But I'm a wicked person. We all, we all. The Bible says for all have sinned. When you begin to measure yourself up to people, you might be okay. But when you measure yourself up to God, you're going to fall short. And He says you've got to turn. That means you forsake the old and you pick up the new. You forsake your old way of living in sin and you pick up the righteous way of God. So He said, humble yourself, pray, seek God's faith, and then 
returns in a wicked way. Now, I want you to consider the situation today by asking yourself two questions. They're on the screen. Question number one, is this what's happening today? Is this God's judgment? Then question number two, if God is a loving God, then why is he allowing this? And let's begin with question number two. If God is a loving God, then why is he allowing this? In Solomon's time, the people were looking forward into anticipation. They were anticipating the coming of a Messiah. The coming of a promised one from God that would save them and heal their wounds. His name we know is Jesus in our language today in the English They were looking forward to that. But basically what they were doing is just living out their time. They were just living out their time waiting for the reality of Jesus. Now, we go in our time today and uh, in our traditional churches like we are at, we tend to live in the past. Oh, I remember when the great revival meetings occurred. I remember when people fought to the altar. I remember when drunkards got saved. I remember when lives got changed. I remember when. And we tend to live in the past. Now, to traditional uh, contemporary people, they feel good about this past. Because they're living in the future. They're experiencing God. But for us, traditional, we're living in the past. Oh, it happens to be if things were like they were spiritually. So we tend to, as Solomon's people look forward to coming and Savior, we tend to look back. We tend to look back in line. But I'll tell you something. Right in the middle of history, right in the middle of a B.C. period of time and an A.D. period of time, there is a cross. And the person that is on that cross, his name is Jesus. And the period between the past and the present is this right here. If God is a loving God, He is. If you don't believe it, look at the cross. Look at the cross. Look at the fact that He is so loving that it's proven on the cross that He died for you. They loved you so much to send His Son to die that you could be saved. Then look at the second part of that. If God is a loving God, then why is He allowing this? The answer to that is very simple. God is sovereign. God knows what's going to happen tomorrow. God knows what's going to happen next month and next year. Now, in that sovereignty of God, nothing takes him by surprise. He just didn't wake up one day in March and say, My goodness, I didn't know this was going to happen. He knew it was going to happen. Uh, the pandemic did not take him by surprise. And the reason we can look at this and say, God is a loving God, why did he allow this to happen? Can I tell you the reason? It's you and me. We live in a fallen world. It begins with Adam when sin entered, and sin is passed upon all men. Therefore, all men, all women are sinners. We live in a fallen world. Things happen in the midst of sin. Things happen in the midst of a fallen world. So if God is a loving God, why is he allowed? This is simply because we live in a fallen world and God is love. Now look at question number one again. Is this God's judgment? Now is God going to judge the world? You better believe he is. This world's going to melt with fervent heat. One of these days. But this is not the end judgment. 
This could be a judgment. I don't know. All things are known by God. But it's not the end judgment. Now, I want you to know that God's proven now the primary judgment here is secondary to his will. Now, let me prove that. Look on the screen at another Romans chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. And this is going to speak to you. Just look at it. Knowing that the goodness of God leadeth us to repentance. Judgment doesn't lead us to repentance. That isn't what it says, is it? The wrath of God doesn't lead us to repentance. It's not what it says. Now read again. Knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And then there's a word, but. Don't you just love when people say, I love you, but you better do it. Something's going to happen, right? You know, here it is. But after, after thy hardness and impediment fall, treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. He's saying here, God's judgment, his absolute grace and mercy leads you to repent. But if you do not repent, then get ready. The love of God is reaching down to you first. Consider salvation, okay? We accept salvation, love God's love and kindness through salvation. We're saved. We're given eternal life. We reject. We've got a future ahead of us in hell. So you see, first comes the love, then comes the rejection, then comes the judgment. Are you getting that? All right, now. Look here. Either way, though, God is calling us to himself. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's God's loving kindness. He's calling us to him, calling us to eternal life. But when we get to verse 17, there's a better explanation. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Without Jesus, you are condemned. Without Jesus, you are in the wrath of God. Without Jesus, you're on your way to hell. Okay? That's pure and simple. But through Jesus, we are saved. This world is going through a tough time. But we will be saved only through Jesus. We will only see a cure coming to our turning back to Jesus. We will only see morality back in line with our family only through Jesus. God is calling even in the midst of a pandemic. Yes, amen. I got something right here. Cell phone. You got one? It's really neat. People call it the hottest time. Did you know it? And there's a term called screening your call. Sometimes there's, I, you know, I'm busy and I can't answer, so I'll hit the screen button and I'll, I'll, I won't answer. And sometimes, uh, you know, being busy, I'll hit that screen button and I'll answer. Sometimes I don't want to answer, okay? And I'll hit that screen button. But do you know that God's calling us? Amen. He's calling Amen. us through His loving kindness. Yes. He's even calling us through the trouble that we're experiencing right now. And I'm going to tell you something. When that wake-up call comes, we better all come to that screen button. Mm -hmm. We need to answer God's yes, wake-up call. And that's what he's calling Israel to here. Now, there's one more word here, okay? And that word is when. And that's what comes next in that last verse there. He says, then, in your Bible, when 
will I hear from heaven and will forgive their land and heal their land. Okay, through that right there, three calls. He said, number one, we'll hear from God. Now, to hear from God means not only to listen, but to do. Be hearers of the word, not only to also do it. Okay? Then he says, also, we will be forgiven of sin. There's nothing to be forgiven. Uh, forgiven by somebody you've hurt and you ask for forgiveness and boy they just bow they just bawl in tears and says I love you I forgive you and they hug you there's nothing like being forgiven by God Amen. so he says you're here from God then you'll be forgiven of sin and then he says you will experience a healing of the land sin's problems will cease to be the issues they are in now note in all of this again that all of this is uh, it's not a result of politics. It's not a result of the general It's a result of God's people. When God's people turn their back on God is when things happen. Amen. And when God's people turn yes. their hearts back to God, that's when good things happen. You and I are the answer. When we wake up, when we look up, and when we call up, yes. then God reaches us. Now, in this wake-up call, I want to go back to the, social, the idea of social distancing for a minute. I want to close with this, okay? Social distancing, you know, getting away from someone and certain man. Uh, you know, there, I want to give you an example. I'm going to preach next week, and if you've got anybody that does not know Jesus as a Savior, bring him next week, because I'm going to be preaching on the wake-up call of the people on the cross. But I want to use the thief on the cross as an example in closing, one of the two examples. The thief on the cross was social distance from Jesus across the six feet. You know that? There were three crosses on that hillside this week, this day. There was one on the left, one on the right, and the one in the center with Jesus. Each one of them had social distance himself six feet from the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. One of them heeded the way of God, and the other did not. The one that needed to wake up God said, God, you know, have mercy on me that you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus spoke the word this day that six foot distance of social distancing between that thief on the cross and Jesus was closed. They came again. Amen. Now I want to go back to the Old Testament example of Jehoshaphat. I thought this was absolutely wonderful when I found it. Jehoshaphat was a king. And he learned about distancing, social distancing, in a matter of 20 inches. You say 20 inches, what's 20 inches? 20 inches is the distance between my knee and, and the ground. 20 inches. Well, how did Jehoshaphat happen to break that barrier down of that 20 inches? Well, he's in a terrible battle against foes that. Man, they were beating the fool out of it. And he was scared to death for what they were about to face. And uh, he heads to the temple, and what he does is he falls on his knees. And listen to what he tells God. He says, God, I don't know what to do. Amen. Have you ever been there? Amen. Yes. Oh, I, I, I don't know what to do. Well, God answered him when he broke that 20 inches down. He says, I want you to go to battle, but you don't have to fight. Are you with me? Amen. I want you to go to battle, but I don't want you to fight because I'll fight for you. Yes. Amen. 